Well, good morning to each of you. It's good to be here with you. Um, I've entitled this message, uh, Giving Glory to God Like a Baptist. I guess this title and um, some of my trepidation of speaking to a group this size was rolling around in my head last night, and I had a somewhat frightening dream. I found myself on a stage behind a curtain at Thomas Road Baptist Church, and um, I was supposed to preach in a few minutes. And to make matters worse, um, I suddenly realized I had forgotten my notes. Um, so I was quite relieved to wake up and realize I'm only coming to Bethel, and I will have my notes with me. Um, several months ago, I was talking with my grandpa, and like he often does, he was quizzing me on some Bible trivia and he asked me, uh, who, is the, who was the greatest prophet? And I thought for a little bit, and I, I said, well, aside from Jesus, uh, maybe it's Elisha, because Elijah was a great prophet, and Elisha received a double portion of Elijah's uh, spirit, so if great times two would probably got to be close to the greatest, right? Um, and Grandpa either forgot uh, the answer or didn't have an answer. Um, and then later, as I was reading uh, through the Gospels, I came across a verse that gave me a, a different answer to that question. And does anybody have a guess um, who I might be thinking of? Yeah, John the Baptist. Um, Jesus says in Matthew 11, verse 11, I tell you the truth, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John. And he does give uh, one exception uh, after that that we'll talk about a little bit later, maybe. But uh, a man this great uh, is worth studying, I thought. And so I looked at the life of John the Baptist and, um, and some lessons that we can learn from him. So what do we know about John? Well, we know that he was a relative of Jesus. Uh, the King James says that, Mary, that Elizabeth was Mary's cousin, and I think the NIV says uh, they were relatives, so I don't know if it's um, certain exactly how close they were, closely they were related, but they were uh, relatives of each other. And like Jesus, John's birth uh, was a miracle. Zechariah and Elizabeth were too old to have children, and they knew that, and um, Zechariah didn't believe it would happen, and as a result, he wasn't able to speak uh, until John was born. Now, John was not a normal character. Um, I don't know if we could agree what a, on what a normal person is, but I'm pretty sure John falls outside of whatever we would decide. Um, he was forbidden to drink wine. Uh, the angel told Zechariah that when he was telling about his uh, foretelling his birth, and so it's believed that John was a Nazarite, um, like Samson and Samuel were, so quite likely he didn't cut his hair, and he was a Nazarite for life. He lived in the desert until he, was, uh, until he began his ministry, and possibly with his parents, that may have just been where they lived, um, so I don't know if that contributed to his unique character or not. Um, we know that he was about Jesus' age. He was six months older than Jesus. Um, so when he began his ministry, which was over the time uh, that Jesus began his, we know Jesus started his ministry at 30 years of age. 
So John was about 30 years old. Um, so to put a mental picture in your mind, that's about Gary's age. And he's not here, so we can, um, he won't be embarrassed by this. Um, so picture Gary, long hair, um, out in the desert preaching. And he was wearing uh, clothes made of camel's hair, a leather belt, and was eating locusts and honey for his food. And he was strange enough that um, Jesus mentions in Matthew 11 that some people thought he had a demon. We probably most of us know uh, the story about John, uh, Jim Elliot, um, the young man who went with uh, several others to Ecuador and tried to make contact with the Aka Indians um, and died in 1956 when they speared him to death. And he was age 28. Um, less familiar is uh, John Allen Chow. And he was a young man who tried to make contact with um, an unreached people group on the North Sentinel Island last year. And he lost his life doing it uh, at age 26. And I don't really know enough about him, him to fully endorse what he did or not. Um, but I think he was sincere in wanting to reach these people with the gospel. Um, there's something kind of inspiring and intriguing about um, young people like this who are so committed to serving God that they, um, I guess you could say that they burn so bright for God that they're consumed at a young age. And I see John the Baptist as this kind of a, a guy. He was totally committed to serving God, and he died in his low 30s. So as I was looking at John's life and trying to think, um, trying to see what lessons there were that we could pull from his life, um, I noticed several things, several um, passages that kind of stood out to me. And in all of these passages, one theme that uh, seemed to be present was that John gave glory to God in everything he did. And so what I'd like to look at this morning are four situations um, in which we can give glory to God like John the Baptist did. The first one is um, giving glory to God in our success. And you can turn to John 1 verse 19 for this one. There's no doubt that John was successful. He, uh, Mark says in um, Mark 1, verse 5, that the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to see John. And um, in the first verse of this passage in John 1, uh, verse 19, uh, this is from the NIV, uh, John says, Now this was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. We know that the the religious leaders of that day were very conscious of um, anyone who might threaten their position and their authority, uh, anyone like Jesus or John. And John obviously had enough of a following that they felt he needed to be investigated, so they sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. So as we read um, John 1, 19 through 28, think about uh, how John... Um, 
handled this success that he was having. Verse 19, now this was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the desert, make straight the way of the Lord. Now some Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. So how did John handle this success? Um, in verse 20, it says that he did not fail to confess, but confessed freely that I, I am, he was not the Christ. Um, his actions led people to believe that he might be the Messiah, but he was very honest about who he really was, about not being the Messiah. And um, the Pharisees, and the, or the priests and the Levites, they... Uh, when they finally exhausted all of their guesses as to who he, John might be, uh, they said, tell us. We, we have to take an answer back to those who sent us to you. And finally, John gave them the answer, but he, he gave it um, through the words of Isaiah the prophet. Um, and he, he was only somebody um, in, that, in, in terms of what he was accomplishing for Christ. He said, I am the voice of one calling in the desert makes straight the way for the Lord. And then in verse 26, um, they question him farther, and it seems like they, they are saying, okay, you're not um, Elijah, you're not the prophet, you're not, uh, you're not the Christ. Then why are you, if you're not an important person, then why are you acting like one? Why are you baptizing people? And notice that John doesn't really defend his actions. In verse 26, he says, uh, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Um, and in, in other passages, he says he is the one, or even later in this passage, I think, um, he says that the one that comes after me will baptize with the Spirit. So he does not try to defend his actions. He's just honest about what he's doing and uh, points people to Jesus again. And then in verse 27, he places himself uh, even lower than a servant of Jesus, saying that he is not even worthy to untie Jesus' sandals. There's a, a, a very contrasting example um, of someone who did not uh, give God glory, and I'm not going to read it. If you want to look at it, it's Acts 12, verse 19. But this is a story of Herod, and there's a number of Herods in the New Testament, and it's a little confusing, but I, I believe this Herod um, in Acts is Herod Agrippa I, uh, who was a nephew of the Herod who killed John. But this Herod had a little quarrel with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and um, the people of Tyre and Sidon uh, gained some influence with one of Herod's 
uh, servants, and they wanted to make peace with Herod because they depended on Herod's land for their food. And um, eventually they did reconcile things. They got Herod to come and give them a speech. And after Herod gave this amazing speech to them, they were so impressed that they said, this is the voice of God, not of a man. And it says in Acts that instantly, uh, because Herod did not give praise to God, uh, he was struck down and died. So I think we can see from these examples um, that what God wants from us is honesty about uh, who we are and, and what we've accomplished. And um, I, don't th I think it's more than just uh, not claiming um, credit for something that we don't deserve, but it's also not uh, being silent and allowing ourselves to receive credit um, when, when someone just voluntarily gives it to us and, and it's not deserved. Um, John did not allow himself to be thought of as anything more than what he really was. Uh, Herod uh, did not speak up when people were thinking of him as more than what he was. And we see in John also just a real desire to shift attention to Jesus. Um, so when we are praised uh, for, for something, um, do we enjoy the praise or do we shift attention to Jesus? Um, who are we, really? Uh, we are sinners saved by the blood of Jesus. And any good that comes out of our lives is a result of God's work in us, and we should give him uh, the credit that he deserves. The second area that I would like to look at in John's life is um, giving glory to God in the success of others. And you can turn to, um, well, let me read one verse here in John chapter 1, and then you can turn to John chapter 3. John chapter 1, verse 35 through 37. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. All right, and you can turn to John 3, verse 22. And think about how John responds to the success of, of others, or to the loss of success, loss of popularity. John 3, verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside, where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim, because there was plenty of water, and the people were constantly coming to be baptized. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, well, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. To this John replied, A man can receive only what is given him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, but I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. He must become greater, I must become less. Let me 
find my place here. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. Perhaps sometimes we find it easy to give glory to God when we're basking in the uh, praise of men and we are popular. Um, we can bow and say thank you, thank you, uh, give glory to God, um, all the while enjoying the praise we're getting. But the test of our sincerity in giving praise to God is um, when that praise or popularity or influence or position is taken away, um, can we still praise God? It seems like John's disciples were quite sensitive to the fact that Jesus was becoming more popular than John was. And uh, it says in verse 25 that an argument developed between John's disciples and a certain Jew. And we don't know who this Jew was. Um, we know enough about Jesus' disciples to know that they were uh, not above getting into arguments. It's possible it was with one of them. And it's interesting that um, they come to John, right after that verse, they, the disciples come to John and um, complain about Jesus right after this argument almost seems like there's a connection there. Um, in any case, uh, we see envy in John's disciples, I think. But uh, John does not seem to be threatened at all by the crowds that are leaving him to follow Jesus. And even some of his own disciples left to follow Jesus. Uh, and this, this could have been very troubling to him, but uh, it doesn't seem to bother him. He realized that this was all part of the plan. Uh, in verse 27, he says, a man can receive only what is given him from heaven. He recognized that whatever success he had, whatever popularity he had, uh, was given to him from heaven. And in verse 29, he compares himself to a bridegroom, which I think is a, a fitting example. I was thinking back to the last wedding I've been at, which I think was Jody and Derek's wedding. Um, Friedrich was the best man, and if Friedrich wanted to be the uh, center of attention and um, tried to be the star of, of the day, that wouldn't have been a very, um, wouldn't have made him a very good man. Um, he was there to help Derek celebrate and to honor him and Jody. Um, and that's the way John viewed Jesus. In verse 30, um, we see that he accepted the loss of popularity. He recognized that Jesus must increase and that John himself would decrease. And in verse 31, he recognizes the superiority of Jesus. He says that Jesus is from heaven and John is from earth. And um, think about Jesus and John. They were both um, born uh, through miracles. Uh, and yet John recognizes that Jesus is from heaven. And in some other scriptures um, where John is talking about Jesus, he says that Jesus uh, has surpassed me because he was before me. And I think these, these places where John mentions that Jesus is from heaven and Jesus was before him are significant because they show that John recognized the divinity of Jesus. Um, John was six months older than Jesus, and yet he recognized that Jesus was before him. Uh, 
So what, what lesson can we pull from this? Um, if we can view any success in our lives as a gift from God and for God's glory, then I think we are more likely able to accept uh, it being taken away. And if giving God glory is our true motive for service and for, for our life, then we should care little whether it is done through us or through someone else. Now, of course, we want to be part of God's kingdom. We want to be used of God. Um, but the, if, if God's glory is our focus, then the specific way in which he chooses to bring himself glory in our lives um, should be up to him, if that is our motive. Some of us are, uh, tend to be competitive, and I'm including myself here probably more than we should be sometimes. It can be hard to let someone else be the best um, in anything. And while healthy competition is probably good in, can be good in basketball or bass fishing, um, it's not always a healthy thing in church life or in, in other areas. Um, if you find yourself to be a competitive person and you um, you you should maybe ask yourself, am I making this argument um, or am I pushing this position to win or am I doing this uh, for God's glory? If we're sincerely doing it for the glory of God, then we can probably more readily leave the outcome in God's hands. And I know this doesn't answer all the questions because uh, decisions have to be made and there's a lot of decisions that aren't necessarily uh, spiritual, but I believe that John showed a healthy lack of competition in the way that he related to Jesus, and that's uh, something we can learn from. The fourth area that I'd like to look at is um, giving glory to God in the presence of sin, and you can turn to Luke 3, verse 7 for this one. And I'll read verse 7 through verse 20. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, The man with two tunics should share with him who has none, and the one who has food should do the same. Tax collectors also came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, What should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. 
His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and preached the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. Here we can see that John had a lot of boldness in confronting sin. When the Jewish religious leaders came out to him, he called them a brood of vipers. And he got right to the heart of their problem. He said, don't say that you don't think that you um, that because you have Abraham as fa- as your father, uh, you are are safe. And he had words um, for all of the other people as well. John had a message of repentance for everyone, but he didn't just point out sin. He gave practical advice about how to live a better life. Uh, to, the, to the crowds, he said, share your extra food and clothing. To the tax collectors, he said, stop cheating people. To the soldiers, he said, don't abuse your power. Don't extort money and accuse people falsely. And then to Herod, uh, he said, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And we know that John was an effective preacher because uh, in Luke 7, verses 29 and 30, it specifically says that the religious leaders did not accept Jesus because they had not been baptized by John, while many of the other people had. They had repented And because of that, they were able to see the truth of who Jesus was. Now, depending on our situation and our relationship to a person, um, I don't know if it's always appropriate to just call out sin in someone's life. I'm not sure about that. Um, But I think that, like God, um, we, we cannot live in the presence of sin um, and not uh, do anything about it. As, as children who are concerned about bringing glory to God, um, I don't think we can just live in the presence of people dishonoring God and just be okay with it. To some young people today, um, a word of disrespect against one's parents justifies a violent response Uh, to maintain the dignity of of their family, I guess. And I've seen this a number of times, not at at school, fortunately, but uh, other places. And I think our response um, to when we see God being dishonored uh, is not a crazed reaction like this uh, to maintain honor. Like John, I think we should recognize that um, a life of disrespect and uh, for God and His ways um, will result in a, a bad end for those who are acting this way. And I think we should speak out against sin out of love for God and a desire to bring Him glory and maintain um, dignity uh, in the way people respond to Him, but also out of love for the people who are sinning and a desire to see that all people uh, have a right relationship with God 
and bring God glory through their lives. Uh, Jesus is also clear that, uh, I think he says in Matthew uh, 7, that we should remove the beam from our own eye before we try to take the speck out of someone else's eye. So our first uh, priority should be boldness in removing sin from our own life, for sure. Uh, but I think we do also have uh, a role to play in pointing out sin in the lives of others, especially probably those um, who we are accountable to in the church. John's death was a direct result of his boldness in addressing sin. And um, it's easy to mask our fear of, of speaking out against sin uh, with a lot of legitimate excuses, legitimate sounding excuses for not dealing with sin. But perhaps we could use a little bit of John's boldness in addressing sin. The third uh, section I would like to look at is um, John's, I'm sorry, this is the fourth, the fourth one. John giving glory to God in suffering. And for this one, you can turn to Luke chapter 7, verse 18. This is the account of John sending uh, his disciples to ask Jesus if he is really the one uh, who was to come. And some people believe that John did this primarily for the benefit of John's disciples and not for John himself. I don't know that we have any way to know for sure. I tend to think it was that John probably was experiencing some legitimate doubts. Um, but let's read this, and um, that's the way I'm going to think about it. Uh, and, and let's think about how John gives glory to God. What, how does John respond to suffering? So Luke 7, verse 18. John's disciples told him about all these things. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they asked, John the Baptist sent us to ask, Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who, were, who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Two things that I notice from these verses. Um, one is that serving God faithfully does not make one immune to, a tr to trouble or tragedy. John had been very faithful uh, in his life up to this point, and yet here he found himself in prison. And the second thing is, people who do great things for God are not above doubt and discouragement. John was quite an accomplished prophet and preacher, and yet it seems like he was doubting here when he was faced with this trouble. What was going through John's mind, do you think? He had devoted his entire life to preparing people to accept Jesus. He had been fully convinced that Jesus was the Messiah, he was the Christ. 
and he had um, directed all of his followers to Jesus. But now, here he was, sitting in prison. Had he done something wrong? Had he messed up? What if Jesus wasn't actually the one? You know, he probably had lots of time on his hands, lots of time for reflection and thinking. And perhaps, like we do sometimes, he started second-guessing himself, wondering, did he make a wrong move? Um, so he sent his disciples to Jesus. What, what better way to um, deal with his doubts than go to Jesus? Um, and Jesus answered by demonstrating his power over, um, over sickness and disease, and he also gave this message back to John, blessed is he who is not offended in me. We're not really told what John did with this response. Um, James 5, 10, and 11 says this, Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Um, quite likely, when he says, take the prophets as an example, um, this included the prophet John. And Job is also held up as an example of perseverance and suffering. And we do have some words, um, some very familiar words from Job. Job 2, verse 9 and 10, um, or verse 9, shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And Job 1, verses 20 uh, through 22, the Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Uh, that's paraphrasing it there. Um, I can't explain the suffering and why people experience suffering. But one thing I, I think I am sure of is that praise for God is louder when it comes out of suffering. Would we be wondering about the tremendous patience of Job if he had made these comments when he was the most wealthy person in the land? I don't think so. But when it comes from the mouth of one who's experiencing the kind of pain and loss that, that he did, it's so much more powerful. And I know this is easier said than done, but I believe suffering is an opportunity to give glory to God in a way that isn't possible when everything is going great. So in conclusion, uh, whatever situation we find ourselves in, there is a way to bring God glory through it. Are we successful? Well, let's remember um, who we really are, where we, um, where we have received our success. We are sinners saved by the blood of Jesus. And let's give God the glory. Um, are others successful? Well, let's remember what our real purpose is. It's to bring God glory, not to bring glory to ourselves. And let's give God the glory in the success of others. Are we facing sin in our own life or in the life of those around us? Let's deal with it so that God can have glory in our lives. Are we experiencing suffering? Well, many, many uh, great people throughout the Bible experience suffering. Let's use the opportunity to give God glory. In Matthew 11, uh, verse 11, <clears throat> when, it's, when Jesus said that those, um, of those born of women, there is not arisen anyone who is greater than John the Baptist, 
he finishes that phrase by saying, yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And isn't that talking about us? Uh, we're in the kingdom of heaven and we can, we're at least the least, right? So uh, can we be great? What makes us great? What makes us greater than John the Baptist? I believe it's probably the message that we have. John only had, uh, John was only pointing forward to Jesus. Here he is. But John did not have the message of Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection. So in that sense, we have a more powerful message than John did. So we are only great um, in as much as we accurately uh, share the message of Jesus and accurately reflect Jesus' love um, in our lives. And through that, we can bring God glory like John did.